Welcome to the Earthside Birth Podcast, a space created with the intention to provoke independent thought in women within a culture that has conditioned her to allow others to do the thinking for her. I'm your host, Petra Mesa, a radical midwifery student, doula, mother, and a former nurse who walked away from the medical system and never looked back. I invite you, sister, to join me on an exploration of the true creative power of women on my journey into independent birth work as I dive deep into topics covering pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Merry come and merry meet beauties. In this space, there is only the intention for the highest good of all, rooted in love. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered medical advice. I am not a doctor. Pregnancy is not a disease, and birth is a physiological, non-medical event. Merry Meet Beauties, Patrick here. Um, Coming to you today to talk a little bit about the safety of ultrasound in pregnancy or perhaps even the lack thereof. And this is something, this is a discussion that I've really been wanting to get started for quite some time. So let's dive right into this. Okay, so obstetrical ultrasound uh, was developed in the 1950s and then commercial machines uh, became available early on, like early in the 1960s. And by the late 1970s, ultrasound not only is uh, being common, but it's also being uh, becoming a routine part of obstetric care. All right. And I right off the bat want to make something very clear. And that is that routine does not mean without risk. And just because something is common or commonly done does not mean that it lacks the potential to cause harm. And for this reason alone, the safety of ultrasound in pregnancy should be questioned, or at very least not assumed. And so what is ultrasound? Well, first let's ask ourselves, what is sound? Well, sound is a form of kinetic energy, all right? And that kinetic energy propagates a pressure wave created by vibrations. All right, so it is a form of kinetic energy that creates pressure. And so let's also ask what is frequency, right? Because sound and frequency are often discussed um, very closely uh, together. And so frequency, right, is how often something occurs. And when we're talking about sound, It's the number of waves, right, that pass a fixed point in a given amount of time. Um, And frequency is measured in hertz per second. All right, so there's a few types of sound. The first that I will discuss is audible sound. That is the sound in which we as human beings can hear, okay? The range of those frequencies are between 20 and 20,000 hertz, okay? So that's the range in which we can hear. 
Then there is infrasonic sound, as the name suggests, infra, below, under, etc. Suggestive that this range is below audible sound, so anything below 20 hertz. So humans are not capable of hearing these frequencies. Okay, but just a fun fact, whales and elephants can. That brings us to ultrasonic sound. Okay, and so this is anything above our range of audible sound. So anything above 20,000 hertz. Okay, again, we cannot hear this range of frequencies. Cats and dogs, however, can, right? You think of like a dog whistle or something like that because they're capable of hearing these higher frequencies. And so how is ultrasound used in pregnancy? Well, when it comes to obstetric diagnostic imaging, ultra-high frequency sound waves are emitted by a transducer. That's the like handheld probe that they put on your belly, or sometimes they'll use a vaginal transducer, so like a vaginal probe. Okay, and so um, these sound waves echo off of whatever it is that they're being directed at. And now in obstetrics, that is typically your baby. Okay, and then they return to the transducer in order to create an image. So now the heart of the surface, right, something for example like bone, the stronger the echo and the clearer the structure is on the image. All right, and so when there's nothing to bounce off of, um, for example, in the cases of like a malformation or um, something is not developed yet, or for example, a cyst, right? Something that's filled with fluid. There's nothing to bounce off of. Ultrasound waves travel through fluid, right? So that would appear as like a dark spot or a black spot because the ultrasound waves are simply passing through that structure. Um, we also know that these waves, right? The transmission of these waves are, is greatly diminished by air. So that is why they use that gel on your belly as a medium to, uh, to emit these ultrasound waves, um, into your body and essentially bounce off your baby. All right. And you know, so that's all good and well, right? But is it safe, right? That's kind of what this whole thing is about. And the fact is that that has never been proven. So even though these things um, are approved by the FDA and recommended by ACOG, it has never been proven to be safe, has never been proven to be without risk. And so let's see what the FDA has to say about ultrasound in pregnancy. Well, according to the FDA, although ultrasound is generally considered safe when used prudently by appropriate, by appropriately trained healthcare professionals, ultrasound energy has the ability to produce biological effects on the body. 
they continue to say that the long-term consequences of these effects are still unknown. Interesting. Well, what about the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology? What about ACOG? And if you don't know, ACOG is like the governing body. It is the be-all, end-all of obstetric and gynecology uh, recommendations. This is what all medical healthcare providers in OBGYN get their guidelines from. And so what do they have to say about this? Well, according to ACOG, currently there is no evidence that ultrasound is harmful to a developing fetus. Okay. No links have been found between ultrasound, birth defects, childhood cancer, or developmental problems later on in life. However, it is possible that effects could be identified in the future. Okay, and for this reason, ACOG recommends only getting ultrasounds during pregnancy for medical reasons by qualified healthcare professionals. They also suggest that women avoid casual use of ultrasound during pregnancy. So you know what that means is that the, all of these 3D and 4D sonograms that women are running out to get because they just can't wait to see their babies. And yes, that's very understandable. ACOG, that kind of dictates what your doctor or midwife or whoever, um, you know, how they operate is telling you to maybe not do that. Okay. So both the FDA and ACOG here are saying, we don't know. We don't know. Proceed with caution, in other words. And so, all right, so if ACOG's recommendation is uh, to only have sonograms for medical reasons, and what are some of these medical reasons, right? And how many ultrasounds is considered normal or appropriate during a pregnancy? Well, according to Stanford Medicine, uh, on their website, they list 20 possible medical reasons uh, for ultrasound, and they break them down by trimester. So let's take a look at those. Um, this is also coming from my direct experience uh, as a former nurse in OB, outpatient OB. And so let's look at the first trimester. The big first trimester scan, the purpose is really for uh, dates, for dating purposes, to uh, confirm your estimated due date. It's uh, well known that it is most accurate early on in the uh, pregnancy, around eight weeks or so. Um, that is when the ultrasound measurements are going to be the most accurate and you're going to get the most uh, accurate due date based on SANO. Um, other reasons why they do this scan is to see how many babies uh, you're carrying, to rule out something like an ectopic pregnancy or a miscarriage if you're having those kinds of symptoms. They'll look at the maternal anatomy a little bit, like your ovaries, your cervix, your uterus, and kind of get like an overall um, idea of what your pelvic health is like based on these images and your history, of, of course, as well. But... Um, the other thing that they do in the first trimester, and this is now a special scan in and of itself, 
is called a nuchal translucency scan. Okay, this scan has to be done within a very specific time frame in the first trimester. Okay, you cannot be earlier than 11 weeks and you cannot be over 13 weeks and five days. Now, so the second trimester begins at 14 weeks. You cannot have entered the second trimester and you cannot be earlier than 11 weeks. And what this is, essentially they are looking at the nuchal fold, which is really the back of the baby's neck, and they measure that, that nuchal fold, okay? And they do this because an elevated nuchal fold measurement is, is a soft marker for Down syndrome, okay? This information by itself really doesn't tell you much, if anything, okay? It does not mean that your baby has Down syndrome, okay? And often this is done in conjunction with uh, taking a maternal blood sample. It's something called a first trimester screen or an ultra screen, right? So they take a sample of the mom's blood and that sample along with the measurements taken by the ultrasound are sent to a genetics lab, okay? And then they calculate your risk factor for Down syndrome. Okay, the issue is that there are uh, there's a pretty high false positive rate with this exam. And in my opinion, it's pretty out of date, the ultra screen. Um, when I first started as a nurse, this was like the test that we had available to us. And now there are so much more in-depth genetic tests that are available to women um, that do not require an ultrasound, like period. You go, you give a, sam- a blood sample and that's that. These uh, new tests are also much more thorough. Okay, the ultrascreen only tests for Down syndrome and maybe one or two other things, maybe a few other things, but not really a lot. The new genetics tests that they have available tests for they screen for a lot more. Okay. Now I'll get into some of the other issues that I have with that, uh, that ultrasound, the nuchal translucency scan a little later on. So moving into the second trimester. Okay. Um, the big one during this time is the 20 week anatomy scan. Okay. That is an in-depth look at a detailed look at the uh, development of the baby, the major organs of the baby. They'll look at the blood flow uh, to and from uh, mom, baby through the placenta, the umbilical cord, um, all of that. Okay, to get an idea of how your baby is and to see if there's any any defects that can be detected through sonogram. Okay. Other reasons for second trimester uh, ultrasounds is there are certain times when they want to check your cervical length, okay, to make sure that your cervix is not shortening early on, okay? This is done when you have a a history of an early loss um, or what they consider uh, or what they call a incompetent cervix. In other words, like you can't hold a pregnancy, right? Um... So what they do is they will actually put a little stitch 
in the cervix to keep it closed. They'll do that around 14 weeks. And then starting from around 16 weeks up until 22 weeks, you will get an ultrasound every other week to check your cervical length. Okay, so that's a lot. Um, so looking at the third trimester, now that one, the third trimester scans generally done around 36 weeks. And really the point of this is to check uh, the position and weight or the size of the baby. All right, they'll also look at the amniotic fluid level. They'll uh, confirm the placental location. Okay, in this scan. Another thing that can happen during the third trimester, and this is not for everybody, this is if you fall into certain risk categories, for example, like uh, advanced maternal age or gestational diabetes, they will recommend that you get something called a biophysical profile. And they'll be recommending that you get this quite regularly if you fall into this these risk categories, okay, once, twice a week even. I've even seen three times a week for certain uh, you know concerns that providers have. And the biophysical profile is something is scan that specifically looks at uh, baby's movements, baby's tone, the breathe, breathing movements, okay, the amniotic fluid level, and the heart rate. So that's something that you may also get uh, in the third trimester. So how many? is typical or how many is considered normal, right? For pregnancy. Well, ideally healthcare providers want you to have three, right? They want you to have the dating because they want to know that they have uh, as accurate as possible due date for you. They want you to get the anatomy scan because that's a huge liability for them. They feel if something is missed or, you know, they, the well-being of the baby uh, it, outside of the womb is kind of like, unknown, right? If you don't get that scan in their opinion. Um, and they want you to get the weight and the position of the baby and the third tri that third trimester scan, I mean. And so you might be kind of thinking like, oh, well, that's not so bad, right? It's only three. And well, there are a few issues that come up for me with all of this. And so the first that I'll get into in the first trimester is that Women are seen very early in their pregnancies, okay? And these ultrasounds, they really do rack up very easily and very quickly, okay? So, you know, you see women sometimes having three, four ultrasounds before they're even in the second trimester, okay? And I'll give you an example. You go in for your first appointment, okay? Your first appointment, and not all offices operate like this, but many do, your first appointment is usually not an ultrasound appointment. You come in, you give a urine sample, a medical assistant plops your urine in a, a urine pregnancy test, okay, processes that and goes, congratulations, you're pregnant. And if you are seeing this kind of provider, you likely already took at least one test. So it's kind of like repeats, but they do it for uh billing and documentation purposes, really. Okay. Um, so two to four weeks after that, 
is your first scan, okay? Now, the thing is that women come in for this first test, you know, sometimes even only four weeks pregnant, you know, and they'll come back in about two weeks for their scan. That means they're only six, seven weeks pregnant at that point, if their dates are accurate. Sometimes, you know, you think somebody is like nine weeks pregnant or so, and their dates are off or, you know, whatever the case is, and they come in for an ultrasound and you don't really see anything. They're like showing signs that they're really kind of like more like six, seven weeks pregnant. And you don't really generally see much uh, that early on Sano, okay? At six weeks pregnant, you might see an amniotic sac or other evidence that there is a pregnancy, but you very well may not see a fetal pole, which is the baby, or it's certainly not a heartbeat. And I'm not saying that you can't or that that doesn't happen. I'm saying that typically you don't see it that early. Okay, so what happens? You come in a week later for another sonogram, okay? So now you're at two, two, two sonograms. Okay, maybe now well, they see uh, uh, the fetal pole, but they still don't see a heartbeat, okay? And they can't confirm, obviously, a viable pregnancy unless they get a heartbeat. So what are they going to do? They're going to have you come in for another ultrasound, okay? And here you go. Here's your heartbeat. Everything is good and well. Now, on top of the anxiety that's provoked in this mother most of the time, much of the time. She's also up to two, three sonograms already. And guess what? They still didn't push that nuchal translucency scan on her. That has to be done uh, at least 11 weeks and before 14 weeks. Okay. So now she's got to come back for another one. So you're starting, like I said, quite often women have three, four sonograms in their first trimester alone. And I'm not saying that there's not reason to do that. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm saying that it adds up quite quickly. And that it's something to think about. Okay. Uh, The other issue with the nuchal translucency scan that I have is if you're getting that newer genetics testing done that doesn't require the the, um, nuchal translucency scan that I was talking about a little earlier, they still want you to get the nuchal translucency scan done. And you don't need it. You don't need it. It's not a part of the test. It doesn't tell you anything by yourself. Then you're going to get a genetic screening that tells you you're fine. You don't have, your baby doesn't have Down syndrome, whatever, 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 but you have an increased nuchal fold. Well, that's a soft screening for Down syndrome, a soft marker for Down syndrome. And so they're going to send you off to maternal fetal medicine for more scanning and possibly further diagnostic testing, depending on how that goes. Okay. And a lot of the time it's totally unnecessary, especially if you have gotten a test that is allegedly over 99% accurate telling you that you do not have a baby with Down syndrome. So just some food for thought. All right. So 
we see similar things in the second trimester come up uh, during the anatomy scan. Okay, so like I was saying, the anatomy scan is typically done around 20 weeks. Now, there are offices that do this earlier. They do it around 18, between 18 and 20 weeks, okay? And even if you do get this scan done a little later at 20 weeks, often babies still need time to develop, okay? Or clear some things that commonly come up on this scan, all right? They have to clear up these things on their own, all right? And an example of that would be something that's called a choroid plexus cyst, okay? The choroid plexus is a normal part of the human brain. We all have this part of our brain, okay? And what happens is this part of the brain is responsible for making cerebrospinal fluid, okay? And sometimes that fluid gets a little trapped uh, in, in areas of the tissue there, of the surrounding tissue, and it makes this little cyst. So like we talked about earlier, when there's nothing for these echoes to bounce off of, it just travels through this space, right? So on this image in the choroid plexus of the brain, you will see little dark spots, okay? Sometimes there's one on either side. Sometimes they're bilateral, right? Sometimes there's only one, sometimes there's two. And so first of all, moms who do not have medical backgrounds, who uh, don't really know about these things, a lot of the time, all they hear you say is, there's something in your baby's brain, okay? And the panic that ensues is so sad because the anxiety that these women go through, is it, it, it's torture. It's torture. And it's really devastating sometimes. And then you see certain people at times, not everybody, but there's this, you know, this attitude towards the medical industry that like, oh my God, this woman, like calm down, you know? And it's like, no bitch, let her be like, not everybody sees this all day, every day. It's different for everybody to process these things. Okay. And so that's the, the emotions uh, that we go through are very real, okay, and very valid, regardless of what anybody tells you, okay? So what's the issue with the choroid plexus cyst? Well, again, it is a, a soft marker for Down syndrome, okay? Again, it does not mean that your baby has Down syndrome, okay? The first thing that they're going to do is say, did you get this genetic screening in the first trimester, Yes or no? Yes, everything was fine. Okay, well, that's that's great. Probably it's nothing, Pro you know, because this, again, is something that commonly comes up in the anatomy skin. You do see it quite often, all right? And so what they end up doing is they have you come back in a week or two for another scan, or even more so, what I saw was women just being shipped off to MFM, okay? So now these women hear, there's something that we see in your baby's brain on an ultrasound, okay? And we're gonna send you to maternal fetal medicine. We're gonna send you to the head honchos, like the big wigs of OB. All right, we're gonna send you to the specialists, okay? That is horrifying for some women. Um, 
and very, very valid. So what happens is by the time they get there, there is nothing seen on ultrasound. These things have cleared themselves up because the baby again just needed more time. So our lack of patience, our lack of trust, not only in our own creative power as women, in our own bodies, but in the process, in our baby's process, in in just trusting that things will be as they are meant to be in general, like point blank, is a big problem, okay? And a lot of the time it means more ultrasounds for you and your baby, okay? The third trimester scan, okay, that I was saying really is to check the size and the position of the baby. Like it's well known that uh, ultrasound-based weights are often very inaccurate, okay? Even like a pound or so in either direction. And that happens, we see that all the time. It's a, it's a well-known that uh, weights based on ultrasound are not really terribly accurate. So that's a big problem, okay? The real issue that what really burns me though is the fact that we need an ultrasound to confirm the position of a baby. What are these providers doing? Use your damn hands. Use your hands. We are losing our skills. We're losing our empirical skills. We're losing our ability to use our senses in order to come up to our own conclusions and make our own decisions. Okay? It's a problem. We're losing our skills. And so I question whether that scan is necessary at all. Okay. And now again, there are certain times when they definitely want you to have that. All right. Whatever. And if you are somebody that is okay with this, then that's totally, totally fine. Okay. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with getting any of these ultrasounds done. If that is what you have decided is the best uh, path, the best choice for you and your health and that of your baby, that's totally fine. So moving on, what do we know about the biological effects of ultrasound? Okay. Remember the FDA uh, even says, right, that it's it's known to have biological effects on the body. It has the potential to produce, the ability to produce biological effects on the body, right? So what do we know about that? Well, the FDA actually uh, names two main effects, all right? So let's go back to what they have to say. Ultrasound waves can heat the tissue slightly, okay, so heating is one. And in some cases, it can produce small pockets of gas in body fluids or tissue. So that is a process that is called cavitation. That is uh, another biological effect, possible biological effect of ultrasound. 
And so Dr. Sarah Buckley in her book, Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering, discusses these things um, in more detail. Okay. And so based on uh, what she's saying in this book, elevations of temperature up to 1.8 to 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit are presumed safe. Okay. Uh, however, she mentions that a recent study, a recent tissue model suggests that heating and late pregnancy human fetal tissues exposed to pulsed and, and Doppler ultrasound may be significantly higher than what is regarded as safe, up to 2.5 to 10.4 degrees Fahrenheit, respectively. Now, that sounds pretty out of range to me if 1.8 to 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit is what is regarded as safe. Okay, um, now think about this because the amount of heat produced by ultrasound depends on its target, okay? So for example, out of all the structures, bone heats the most compared to soft tissues and fluid, right? Remember that the harder the surface, the stronger the echo. And so in this respect, perhaps the greatest risk lies not in early pregnancy scanning, but in the late pregnancy scanning when the skeletal structure is most developed. Something to really think about. That's a big concept because we often uh, think the opposite. We think that the more developed a baby is, the less risk they, are, they have to adverse effects, right? So really interesting concept there. All right. Cavitation, okay, is when small pockets of gas within mammalian uh, tissue begin to vibrate and then they expand and then they collapse violently, all right? The effects of this process on human tissue is still very uncertain, but it is known to cause free radicals, which are extremely damaging to tissues, okay? And going back to uh, Sarah Buckley's book, Dr. Sarah Buck Buckley's book, Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering, research shows an increase in free radical formation after Doppler application to samples of amniotic fluid. Okay, and they suggest that this also applies to um, pulsed ultrasound. So really, really interesting um, concept there also. You know where you see this process, uh, cavitation, is in liposuction. Yeah. You, they use this in plastic surgery. They use it to destroy fat cells, right? Because that's what they do. They, they collapse the cells. They, they destroy the cells. You also see this process in fluid mechanics, okay? And you can clearly see how this process erodes metal surfaces, Another thing that, um, that another biological effect, um, possibly is acoustic streaming and that is physical forces of sound waves, right? That provide a driving force capable of displacing ions and small particles. I'm sorry, small molecules. And so this might change properties 
of cells. Um, for example, the permeability of the cell membranes. And experts say, uh, you know, that this might have adverse effects on both early and late uh, prenatal development, but also postnatal development. Okay, so it's a, these effects can be long lasting. Okay, another thing we've seen uh, research indicate is the possibility of ultrasound um, creating actual sound that the baby can hear ultrasound. Okay, this was done by placing a microphone next to an amniotic sac during a scan. And when they directed the uh, ultrasound probe towards the microphone, sound equivalent to 84 decibels was recorded. Okay, it's also been confirmed that an increase of fetal, fetal activity um, during scanning occurs. All right, and that suggests the possibility that ultrasound produces discomfort in the baby. The sound of the ultrasound produces discomfort to the baby. Other possible adverse effects uh, might include preterm labor, miscarriage, low birth weight, poorer conditions at birth, perinatal death, dyslexia, and delayed speech development. Um, some other considerations I have is just the concept of only having three ultrasounds in a pregnancy in general. Okay, that statement, in my opinion, is completely false. It's not possible. And that is because every time you go to the doctor, every time you go to the doctor, you are exposed to ultrasound waves. And that is because that little handheld device that they bring from room to room to them throughout the office to appointment to appointment to listen to your baby's heartbeat, it's called a sonicade, but it is Doppler ultrasound. And so Doppler ultrasound uh, it detects movement, right? That is a part of the ultrasound that uh, detects the blood flow in, um, you know, between the placenta and the mom and the baby and the umbilical cord, um, the heartbeat, okay? But it's a continuous emission of these ultrasound waves, okay, versus pulsed ultrasound, which, um, as I talked about before, um, bounces off of what it's directed at, right, comes back to the transducer, but it's pulsed, okay, there's a, there's a pause in between pulses in order for that image to be created. Doppler doesn't work like that. Doppler is just it continuously emitting ultrasound waves, okay, towards your baby's heart to pick up the, the heart rate. Okay, so you know where we see this, where else we see this. So not only that hand, little handheld device, but going back to that biophysical profile that you might get if you fall into those certain risk categories in the third trimester, there's a second part to that test that they often do. 
and that's called a neonatal non-stress test, okay? And I won't go into tremendous detail here for the sake of time, but essentially what they do is strap you to a, a fetal heart rate monitor, okay? And they keep you hooked up to this for at least 20 minutes to get a clear reading of your baby's heart rate, okay? They compare it to the amount, if any, contractions you may be having, and they compare it to the baby's movements during the time of this scan, during the time of this tracing, okay? And so that, with in conjunction with the biophysical profile, okay, give you a sense of the baby's overall well-being. Is the baby stressed? Or are they doing okay? Right? Now, again, you will be getting this test regularly, weekly, bi-weekly, whatever the case may be. And my point is that this is Doppler ultrasound. So once, twice a week, you're getting continuous Doppler ultrasound to monitor your baby's heart rate for a minimum of 20 minutes each time. Okay. And so maybe you're thinking, well, oh, I don't fit into these risk categories. I'm a healthy lady and that's not me. Well, guess what? If you're going into a hospital or even some birth centers, okay, if you have a a very medicalized uh, healthcare provider, wherever you show up to birth your baby, you will likely, it will likely be recommended to you that you have continuous fetal heart rate uh, monitoring. All right, that means that when you get there, when they get you settled in, they're going to strap you up to a fetal heart rate monitor and they're going to keep you on it until you birth your baby. So maybe that's hours. Maybe that's maybe that's a few days, okay? Who knows? Um, so the point is that you're not getting just three ultrasounds during your pregnancy. You're being exposed to ultrasound waves every time you see the doctor, every time you go into the office and you have your your baby's heart rate checked if they're using that uh, handheld Doppler device. So what my thoughts are is that it is the continuous, you know, exposure to these ultrasound waves that are, are really concerning, right? Um, you know, this might be like a, a bizarre or even controversial controversial concept, but things like fetal alcohol syndrome even, okay? Fetal alcohol syndrome is like the tremendous devastating complication that babies are diagnosed with when they are continuously exposed to alcohol during uh, their time in utero. Okay, you don't get diagnosis of fetal alcohol syndrome because mom had a glass of wine during her pregnancy. Okay, and so why are we not questioning? Why are we? Why is it so off the table to question the safety of ultrasound in the same respect, considering the continuous uh, 
exposure that we have to this technology? Are we asking questions yet? There is absolutely no judgment from me. You know, to be crystal, crystal clear. I am not here to judge and I am certainly not here to convince anybody of anything. Um, and I am not anti-medicine. I'm not anti-ultrasound. I'm not anti any of that stuff. I'm grateful uh, that we live in a, in a day and age where we have these medical resources when they're needed, okay? When they're needed. But if I had a dollar for every time I heard a doctor say, oh yeah, this is safe. It's just, it's just sound waves. What does that even mean? Just sound waves. That's not even an actual thing. Okay, don't forget that we live in a world where sonic and ultrasonic waves have been weaponized. And we're just told to trust that this technology is safe, safe for our babies and us. Like, what effect does this have on our womb space, the source of our creative power as women? You don't know. The FDA and ACOG said themselves, we don't know. Proceed with caution. Okay, my only intention here is to provoke thought within a culture that has been conditioned to let healthcare providers do the thinking for them. Okay, my only intention is for the highest good of all. And my deepest wish is that women just start asking more questions. Okay, because it's up to you to determine if the benefits outweigh the potential risk. Not the doctor, not the midwife, nobody else. That is your job, your responsibility. It's your right. It's your body and your baby. And so I thank you all so, so much for spending this time with me today and for listening to this. Um, I'm so grateful that you've been here to witness me in this moment because this subject truly has been um, on my mind and in my heart for a long, long time since I left the medical field. And so I hope that you enjoyed. I'm really looking forward to next time, although I'm not sure what that episode will be about. But I hope that you join me again in the next episode. Have a wonderful day. Blessed be.